Well, it's good to uh, be back after a little family wedding and a little time uh, away. And as I re-engage with the ministry of St. Andrew uh, today, I want to jump right into uh, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, not only today, but also next uh, week in uh, what will amount to a little two-part sermon for early August that I have entitled, Getting Along. Uh, which is a term that we use quite often to describe the quality of our relationships with each other and uh, family members or friends of ours who uh, get along famously with each other and others who may not be getting along quite so well lately. It's also a term, by the way, that uh, we sometimes use to describe our ability to move forward into the future when we ask how someone is getting along in the aftermath of a loss or of a life-changing experience that they might have had. And, and so I want to talk about both of those things today and also uh, next week because in case you have not noticed, uh, there is a depth of division and animosity in our society and in our culture today that certainly isn't new, but uh, it is far above the surface. Secondly, because our failure to get along with each other in the context of our faith compromises our witness and it slows down the mission of Christ in this world because people generally don't want to be part of any faith community where the members are not getting along with each other. And thirdly, because in the words of a New Testament scholar by the name of Daniel Wallace, if you could summarize St. Paul's entire letter to the Ephesians in just one sentence, that sentence would be, Christians get along with each other. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the uh, couple who invited their pastor over for dinner one night, and uh, while they were in the kitchen getting things ready, uh, he asked their young son if uh, he knew what they were having, and, uh, and the boy said, I think, I think we're having goat. And he said, uh, really, goat, are you sure? And he said, well, last night, my father said that we're having that old goat for dinner tomorrow night. which is a story about getting along, you see. And so is St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which he wrote uh, while under house arrest in the city of Rome around the year 60. But the backstory is that St. Paul first decides to write a letter to the church, not in the city of Ephesus, but in the city of Colossae which was about 120 miles east of Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is in modern-day western Turkey. And the reason he decides to write that letter is that there were some heresies, some incorrect teachings that were springing up and uh, presenting conflict in the church, and Paul knows that he has to respond to this as soon as he possibly can. And so that is St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, which you can read on your own. In the meantime, Paul coincidentally meets a runaway slave in Rome who happens to be from, guess where, Colossae. And under Paul's spiritual leadership, this runaway slave becomes a Christian. And so Paul writes a second letter to the master of this runaway slave, who Paul happens to know, who is a friend of his, who is a fellow believer and a member of the Colossian church, and his name is Philemon, asking him to receive this runaway slave back into his home without penalty or consequence, because now these two guys are brothers in Christ. That is St. Paul's letter to Philemon, which you can read on your own. 
Well, it turns out uh, that in order to get from the city of Rome to the city of Colossae, it was necessary to go through, guess where? The city of Ephesus. And so Paul decides to write a third letter to the Ephesians, in other words, to the Christian community in and around the city of Ephesus, which has led some scholars to believe that, you know, Paul really didn't have an agenda for writing this letter, but communication being very different than it is today, he just wants to give them a word of encouragement, a pep talk for the forward movement of their mission and ministry, kind of like I'm trying to do right here today, right now. On the other hand, we also know uh, that uh, unlike some of Paul's other letters to, that he wrote to churches where, uh, for example, Jewish Christians uh, were in the majority and Gentiles or non-Jewish Christians were in the minority and were sometimes looked upon as uh, second-class Christians in the church because you know, they didn't come to know Jesus as the promised Messiah of Israel. It turns out that the church in Ephesus was just the other way around, and the Gentiles were in the majority, and the Jewish Christians were in the minority, and they were often looked down upon as people who you know, weren't willing to let go of their old religion and all those traditions that they uh, honored. And Paul knows that this us and them attitude and spirit in the church compromises our witness, and it slows down the mission of Christ. Furthermore, we also know uh, from the book of Acts that about five years earlier, when Paul was himself in Ephesus, there was a riot that broke out in the city. And this riot involved uh, business leaders and craftsmen who uh, made a lot of money producing and selling idols or images of a pagan goddess by the name of Artemis to whom a temple had been built in the city of Ephesus, but now, were losing a lot of their business because Paul was in the city preaching the message of Jesus and more and more people were coming to faith in him. And so, you know, that's good news, obviously, but it was also complicated for the society and the culture of Ephesus in the middle of the uh, first century. And it made it all the more important for the Ephesian church to stay unified, which has caused some other scholars to think that maybe Paul did have an agenda after all, and maybe it wasn't so different from his agenda in those other two letters to the Colossians and to his buddy Philemon, and that was to urge people of God to bear with one another, to seek harmony with each other, and to get along with each other because now all of them were part of the greater story of Jesus. And the question is, how do you do that? In the midst of whatever divisions you might see around you in our culture, in our society, in the midst of whatever relationships might be complicating your life right now, so that the quality of those relationships remains high, so that the mission of Jesus keeps going forward in this world unencumbered and so that more people will be attracted to this faith that comes with the peace that passes all understanding and the blessings of an eternal lifetime. I want to highlight some of Paul's answers to a church 
that he founded and to people that he loved. And the first is to remember that in the family of God, there are no second-class citizens. There are no inferior people. Everybody matters. Everybody is important. Everybody has grace. And everybody has received a gift, and with that gift, a call to use that gift, whatever it happens to be, to promote the unity of the body of Christ, which is otherwise known as the church, remembering that in the church that bears the name of Jesus, we don't all have the same function because we don't all have the same gift. We don't all have the same experience. But what we all do have is the same status before God. And sometimes, you know, I don't think we let that sink in and understand the enormity of the power of those words of St. Paul and, and that fact and the way that it began to reorder all human relationships, whether they are individual relationships or relationships between groups of people like slaves and masters, who, when they began to see each other differently, as brothers, as sisters, then began to treat each other differently until slavery came to an end. Now, I don't mind confessing to you that there are times in my life there have been, there still are, when, you know, I have to say, you know, Lord, you know, I know you love my brother, and so I guess I have to. You know, or I disagree with my sister over there, but I got to love her because she's my sister in Christ. In other words, when we practice that way of looking at each other, something starts to happen that's bigger than whatever it is that threatens to divide us or tear us apart. Secondly, he calls us to remember that there's only one head to this body. I mean, in the whole wide world, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the judge. He is the Lord. He is the king. And what we are, are simply the managers and the stewards and the delivery boys and girls of the grace and truth with which he has entrusted you and me. And the third thing he says, really the first, supported by the other two, is to remember that we have been called to live a life that is worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ, in other words, to live like the children of God that we are. Bearing with one another, being patient with each other, being gentle with each other, not stirring the pot, speaking the truth in love to each other, and loving our neighbor, which by the way in the scriptures didn't mean, you know, just your, your fellow Jewish neighbor or your fellow Christian neighbor. It just meant your, your neighbor. Or as St. John said in the first of his three letters, how can you love God and hate your brother? And so if you're struggling uh, with a relationship in your life right now with somebody with whom you might be uh, at odds, 
because of something that's going on out in the world or something that's going on, you know, in the depths of your heart and your soul, I would encourage you to begin by asking yourself this question. Does this difference between us have eternal significance? In other words, is this something about which we must agree or otherwise somebody's salvation is on the line? If the answer to that question is yes, then you've got a whole different conversation ahead of you. But if the answer to that question is no, and it often is no, then you might want to back off and lighten up and rely on the unity that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. And if that other individual is not a Christian, on loving your neighbor because of Jesus. Second, if there are two people in your life with whom you are not at odds, but they're at odds with each other, you might want to pray about getting into that instead of saying, you know, man, I'm not going anywhere near that. And that's none of my business. And instead, think about what it might mean to take the risk of bringing, injecting, infusing the spirit of Jesus into somebody else's conflict so that as God gives grace and his spirit goes to work, uh, they might resolve their conflict. They might experience common ground. They might agree to disagree when that's possible under the word of God because, you know, you can disagree without being disagreeable. It's possible. Now, I know, you know, that you can't control another person's response. I get that. And we're not always going to agree on everything, and I get that too. But what you and I can control is our response, our attitude, our understanding of the God who wills the unity and harmony of his people for the hope of this broken world. So there's this old story about these two brothers who lived on adjacent farms who fell into a conflict. For years, these two guys got along famously. But then a little misunderstanding turned into a major dispute that was filled with ugly words, followed by months of silence. And then one day a knock came to the door of the older brother and there stood a man with a carpenter's toolbox and he said, I'm looking for a few days of work and wondering if you had anything that you would like me to do. And, and he said, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. He said, you see that farm over there on the other side of that creek? That's my brother's. And I'd like you to build me a fence so that I don't have to look at that land or talk to my brother ever again. The carpenter said, I understand. I think I'll provide something that you'll be very happy with. And so there he went and spent the next uh, several days measuring, digging, sawing, nailing. And then he went back and he knocked on the door and he announced that the job had been completed. So the older brother went and he looked and his jaw dropped and his eyes opened wide when he realized that what the carpenter had built was a bridge instead of a fence. And that coming toward the bridge was his younger brother, 
arms outstretched, sorrowful for the conflict, thankful for what he thought his older brother did. But then the older brother begins to cross the bridge. And the two of them meet in the center, falling into each other's arms, weeping. The carpenter picks up his toolbox, hoists it over his shoulder, and they call out to him, stay with us. I'd love to, he answers, but I have more bridges to build. Getting along is work. It is. Easier for some, more difficult for others. And sometimes it requires us to enlist the help of a third party, uh, which happens to be none other than St. Paul himself in the cases that I've talked about today and we'll talk about again next week. And uh, at some point, and in some cases, that may end up being you at some point in the future. But in every case, and in all cases, the good news is that we have a carpenter and that he has built a bridge to restore our broken relationships with each other and with the God whose grace brings us together as the body of Christ for the hope of the world. Next week, Paul's going to throw us another challenge. And this one has to do with the language that we use when we talk to each other and witness to the world in which we live. Uh, but before we get there, uh, let me close up this little pep talk today uh, by expressing my thanks for a church between two cities uh, where we have our differences, but where by grace we get along and we keep moving forward in the mission of Jesus Christ, not because we agree on everything, not because we always get it right, but because we're working on it and because our God has given us everything that we will ever need to be the one body of Jesus Christ for the hope of the world so that more friends, more colleagues, more neighbors will find themselves saying, look at that church. If that's how they operate over there, if that's because of Jesus, then I want in and I want to be a part of the bigger story of God's love for the joy and hope of this world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.